call this the second of my talks, Why Enough is Never Enough. And the verse I want to base that on is from Philippians chapter 4, where Paul talks about uh, contentment. And he says, whether in need or whether in plenty, I have learned to be content. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I don't know about you, but I love those letters that uh, children write to God. I find them consistently fascinating, that innate spirituality that our children have. And I read a letter the other day written by a little girl called Allison. She said this, I, I read the Bible, God. What does beget me? No one will tell me. Love, Allison. Today in the Western Church, where easy believism lurks the pews and the pulpits of our lands. If a preacher won't tell you the truth, my friend, even if that truth is uncomfortable, then I need to know who will. And I fear that today I may be in grave danger of trespassing into the challenging territory at this lunchtime of telling you stuff that you really don't want to know. But actually, I believe God needs you to know if you're going to make progress in your walk with Him. I want to talk to you about something which seems entirely illusory in both our cultural contexts. It's a word that Paul uses here, and it's a word that we need to meditate on in this Lenten season, and the word is contentment. Can I really say I have that peace of God which passes all understanding? What do I think when Paul says stuff like, whether in need or in plenty, I have learned to be content? Yesterday, after the service, somebody asked me whether I thought we are worse sinners today than people in the past. And my answer was pretty straightforward. I think many of you would give this answer. I said something like the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners and ever since the Garden of Eden, human beings have been tainted by sin. And the sin creates a spiritual block between us and God. And it doesn't matter in one sense whether you sin a bit or whether you sin a lot. Without Christ and the cross, your prognosis is not great. But I did say this. It may well be that the scope for committing sin has broadened. And much of what we do by way of sin today is so subtle to us that we're oblivious to it. Our generations have been subject to two things that no other living generation has ever been subject to. No other generation has been assaulted by these things in say, Not that they are intrinsically wrong, but they can be wrong. Here are the two things. One, the internet. Two, mass marketing. And before a line of marketing consultants line up at the end of the service to lynch me, and let me say I'm not opposed intrinsically to marketing. At its best, it informs us, it helps us to make choices between different suppliers of goods and services. But let me tell you, here's an aspect of marketing that I think should truly worry us, and it's this. Much sophisticated marketing seems to carry a subliminal message which is designed to make us feel unsettled. Designed to make us want more. 
designed to make us feel discontent with what we have in the hope that we will want something better or something more. And of course, with the internet and through our television screens, this message is truly relentless. It's beamed at us day and night, which gives us very serious background noise in which our, in which our faith has to form. Some of you will know that the famous philosopher René Descartes, famous for his phrase, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, is characterized better by the conceptual artist Barbara Kruger in her stark work, which carried the words, I shop, therefore I am. Because, of course, the great false god of consumerism is choice. Not that choice is intrinsically wrong, but it can get a hold of us in a way which is unhelpful. Let me explain. I used to live in a housing development when I was assistant minister. They were all new houses. And it went like this. If somebody in one of these new houses bought a garden shed, suddenly everybody down the street had a garden shed. If somebody built, bought a travel trailer, if that's what you call them here, Everybody down the street bought a travel trailer, and if somebody bought a Range Rover, everybody bought a Range Rover, excepting myself, because I couldn't afford it. This is additionally worrying, for what it means is that often we make our choices in terms of what we buy and the services we buy into, not on the basis of what we think, but on the basis of what the people around us choose to do. In that sense, we surrender our right to make our own choices. Plenty of psychological research backs this up. In fact, however good you think choices, psychologists tell us that it creates anxiety, confusion, and sometimes anger. I used to be the Bishop of Buckingham, and Buckingham is a strange shire in the UK because it has a north to south trajectory. There's no easy way to travel uh, by automobile up and down. And so, to make life bearable, I would find these places where I could find coffee to drink on the way. And one day, on one of my routes, uh, a big coach arrived, uh, and the guy had turned it into a cafe. I was a little surprised when I walked on board to meet the kind of air of sophistication on this coach. And when I asked for coffee, and the guy behind the bar said to me, Kenyan, Ethiopian, or Colombian, I was momentarily stumped. I said, no, I'm Ethiopian. He said, black or white? I said, without milk, please. He said, sugar or sweetener? I said, nothing. He said, to drink or to drink in or take away? I said, to drink in. I said, give me the coffee. <laughs> Little sheepishly, he said to me, mug or cup? Choice can be bewildering and occasionally pushes to behaviors and to anger. And what's worse is that these days nobody seems to think it's wrong to target our children to kind of groom them to become tomorrow's consumers. Uh, 
Some years ago, United Kingdom supermarket got itself in some sort of trouble. I don't know whether they ever did anything about it. But what it did was, it put its high margin projects at exactly the level in the shop. Then a mum with a toddler in the supermarket trolley, so that that island would meet with the kids' island. So this kid's pulling stuff off the shelf, which is high margin stuff. All those advertisements that start in September, encouraging our kids to want the earth for Christmas. Listen to me. We're all being prepared for insatiability. And what does Paul say in need and in plenty? I have learned to be content. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, does all this matter? Well, I think it does. Because insatiability for anything is a distressed human condition, which is a very close uh, relative of addictive behavior. And addiction will always get in the way of your relationship with God. All addiction, not just tobacco, alcohol, sex, and drugs, but all addiction will undermine your relationship with God. I wonder how many of us today could put our hands on our hearts and say, I am truly content with what I have. That would be a great thing, wouldn't it? Oh, and of course, in polite society, there are all the wonderful excuses we invent to kind of excuse our desire for more. I have a friend called Bob, he's a multi-millionaire guy, just sold his 20 million pound boat for a 30 million pound boat. When I said to him, why did you do that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, how do you justify spending that kind of money on a boat with 12 staterooms? I mean, it's only you and your wife, right? You know what he said? He said, well, at least it creates employment. So is that why you really did it? Uh, Somebody says to a couple, why do you need a 12-bedroom mansion when there's just the two of you? Oh, I get it. So you can hold the Alpha Group in your house. Uh, why do you need a top-of-the-range car? Ah, now I see. It's for your spouse's motion sickness. Okay, well listen, I've been long on diagnosis, and I now want to offer you four practical things, and the only thing I can guarantee is you will not like these. Four practicals you could do to seek to contain your acquisitiveness. Incidentally, I do appreciate this, having ministered in one myself, that living in the midst of a culture of acquisitiveness is very dangerous. Because acquisitiveness is such a contagious disease. Here are four things, right? Firstly, limit your exposure to mass marketing. Paul said in Romans 12, we should be trying to be re- have our minds renewed. Human brains are a very sophisticated organ. Every time you blink, there are several thousand uh, little reactions going on in your body. But another level, very unsophisticated, what you put into your mind will affect what comes out of your mind. The average American, I read this morning, watches television for five hours a day. The average child under 11 watches it for three and a half hours a day. And most of us spend at least eight hours a week browsing on the internet. 
Would it be too much to ask that we started to limit our exposure to harmful stuff simply designed to undermine our state of well-being and make us want more? You have to decide that. Number two, never go shopping without a purpose. Uh, I knew that would be unpopular. The moment I opened my mouth. Listen to me, that's a dangerous thing to do because you will end up buying stuff that either you don't want or you don't need or both. That's just not a great idea to do that. Third thing is, love your neighbor, but ignore their purchasing habits. And fourthly, it's really difficult, isn't it? I was brought up in a wealthy home, you know, we didn't want for anything. But when I read what the Bible says about wealth, I just have to swallow hard and think. And we go around saying stuff like, you know, it's not the money. It's what you do with it. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that money was mammon. That it has a power of its own, and that power can overtake your life so that you end up being owned by your money and possessions rather than you own them. Sadly, I have to conclude this, that acquisitiveness is a sin and it's big in our respective cultures. Remember there was a rich man once who had done nothing wrong. He had a great business, he expanded his business and then he thought he would do like many of us. He would take early retirement. Jesus said... A man's life, a man's life, a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Only thing this man did wrong was he invested unwisely because he didn't invest enough in God. So today, friends, let's pray to Jesus, our Lord, who for our sakes, though he was rich, made himself poor. Let's pray in this Lenten season as we reflect on our walk with God, whether or not the Holy Spirit needs to whisper in our ear and offer us a word of correction. Let's pray. Lord, I stepped into this pulpit wondering whether I was commending to others a life I was not truly living myself. And Father, I pray that your spirit would not only search the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this great cathedral today, but you would search my heart. And Father, all we pray for is a closer walk with you. So would you please help us to remove anything that will get in the way of that walk, that we might become the people you want us to be. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And the people said...